reading today comes to us from the book of Romans. Glory to you, O Lord. Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, the gospel concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of Holiness by resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for the sake of his name, including yourselves who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all God's beloved in Rome who are called to be saints, grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Paul begins with his very first words to this letter to the people of Rome with these words. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. In other translations, Paul actually says, Paul, a slave to Christ Jesus. We begin today on this fourth week of Advent asking the question, what does it mean to be a slave to Christ? I ask the question, what does it mean to be enslaved to Christmas? Well, to have any clue what we are talking about, why don't we get out a little Martin Luther, amen? Martin Luther says this, in 1520... In his three treatises, in his work, Freedom of a Christian, Luther says this, A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. But a Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Luther goes on to say this, quoting directly from Paul in Corinthians and Romans, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all, and in all I owe no one anything except to love one another. Love by its very nature is ready to serve and be subject to him who is loved. So Christ, although he was Lord of all, was born of woman, born under the law, and therefore was at the same time a free man and a servant in the form of God. Because of this diversity of nature, the scriptures assert contradictory things concerning the same man. Since these two men in the same man contradict each other, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. So when the soul firmly trusts God's promises, it regards him as truthful and righteous. Nothing more excellent than this can be ascribed to God. The very highest worship of God is this, that we ascribe to him truthfulness and righteousness. Whatever else should be ascribed to one who is trusted, when this is done, the soul consents to his will. Then it hallows his name and allows itself to be treated according to God's good pleasure for clinging to God's promises. It does not doubt that he who is true, just, and wise will do, will dispose, and provide all things. Brothers and sisters in Christ, 
What does it mean to be slaves to Christ? What does it mean to enslave ourselves to Christmas? Well, we dive deeper into what Paul writes today. When Paul wrote his letter to the Romans, it's the first and only letter he ever wrote to a group of people and a church that he had not met yet. Every other epistle letter that Paul writes, he had been a part of that community, he had brought together these early Christians, he had evangelized, he had brought them together, given them the gospel, taught them how to preach, taught them how to teach, taught them how to gather and worship, and each of those letters is in response to either gratitude of the work the church is doing or admonishment, encouragement, correcting them and where they are erring. But in his letter to the Romans, Paul had not yet met them. Instead, he lays the pathway of what it means to be called a Christian. And he starts with this concept. A descendant of David is who Jesus was, and who, through the spirit of holiness, was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Think about this. What Paul is saying to the people in Rome is that this Jesus of Nazareth, this Jesus the Christ, this Jesus was born with a purpose. A baby was born to die. It's a hard concept for us to wrap our heads around. When Mary and Joseph, in our gospel lesson in Matthew, when the angel comes to Joseph and says, you must remain in this relationship because it is through you that the Davidic covenant shall reign true, but it is your relationship. You will adopt this Christ child and you will raise him to be the savior of the world. I highly doubt that Joseph and Mary looked down into the manger on that Christmas Eve night and thought, oh nice, this is our child, the one born to die. When's the last time you guys looked into your child's face and thought that? Amen? Not at all, right? When your child is born, you think to yourself, I wonder what this child will grow up to be like. I wonder what they'll grow up to do. Maybe a teacher. Maybe an astronaut. Maybe a police officer or a firefighter. Maybe a dancer. Maybe an accountant. You never have an idea. But when you look at that child, the last thing you think about is this child was born to die for you and for me. But that's exactly what Christ in his role is. And that is what Paul is saying to the people of Rome. This child, this baby born on Christmas Eve, is going to be born to die. Now for us that grow up in the Midwest, especially out here in the plains with ranchers and farmers as neighbors, it's a little more tangible, a little more palpable to understand that for us to literally have life, for us to literally have nourishment in our stomach, to give us energy to move on, something dies so that we can live. Amen? But believe it or not, for thousands, hundreds of thousands, and millions of Americans across the land, they genuinely think that their food comes to the shelves served on styrofoam. 
There is a very foreign concept in our culture that actually believes something must die so that you can live. By the way, shameless plug, if you're planning on going grocery shopping after this, don't bother. There's nothing on the shelves. There's literally no milk or eggs in the, pier, in the city of Pier today. And notice that we still need the sustenance. Amen? Something must die that we might live. A baby is born to die. Something dies so that we can live. And what do we do with that? What is Paul saying to the Romans, the people that he longs to come and see and uh, help make that church become flourishing and lively? What is it that we do? It's called a cost. It comes with a cost. It's the cost of discipleship. And that cost of discipleship is heavy. The cost of being uh, under that title Christian actually is heavy. And it's easy for so many of us to take it for granted. So what does it cost? What does it mean to enslave ourselves to the king that comes into the world to die for us? It's a fruitful life. It's living a life fruitful in faithfulness. And when we talk about living a life in faith, it's not a life of duty and obligation, so to speak. We absolutely are to be obedient to the king. If you have a king that comes into the community, and that king is a king of absolute servitude, love, grace, peace, and defense, if you notice when we were singing the Kyrie, the last line of the Kyrie is to defend and protect us, Lord. Amen. Right? If that is the king of this community of faithful believers, what is our response to that king? Obedience. Amen? So we are called to be obedient, but it's not about the salvation because, believe it or not, you have no capacity to do it on your own. That is why the king does it for you. That is why that Christ child is brought into this world to do it for you. So how do we respond to that? With boldness, with accountability, with love, with care, and with step number one, forgiveness. Why forgiveness, Pastor? Because forgiveness was the primary goal that God intended by sending that child to die for us. So that we too can be forgiven to start over each and every day. I want to close with a very intimate, vulnerable story of myself. Oftentimes there's a risk in us sharing our own stories, but sometimes it just needs to be said. A moment of forgiveness for me started nine years ago. In my previous parish, there was one family in particular who will not be named out of, out of uh, protection of their dignity and who they are. But there was one family in my previous parish that absolutely could not stand us. They wanted us gone. They wanted us out of the church. They went so far as to call the bishop and ask, how do we remove Pastor Craig from our congregation? How do I know that? Because the bishop called me. <laughs> Zelmer gives the benefit of the doubt. We had a great conversation. We talked about the challenges that we faced for over a year. 
And that family had to sit in front of a panel of retired pastors, the dean of the conference, synod staff, and myself, and our council members. And we looked at this family and we said, your behavior is not okay. You can either stay here and act Christ-like, and we quoted Romans, we quoted Corinthians, but we quoted Christ himself, or you can leave. And you can go with God with care and love from us towards you. It was one of the most difficult moments as a pastor. Because it's in that moment where you very quickly discover who actually loves and cares and supports your family and who does not. And this is not my woe is me statement. By the way, I'm not asking you to all go home, check your calendars. When can I take the pastor for lunch? That sounded like an atrocious story. That is not the point of the story. The point of the story, going back to that Christ child that comes to us for forgiveness so that we too can forgive, came to fruition last year while I was on sabbatical. In July of last year, I got a phone call that one of our nearest and dearest, one of my favorite parishioners from my last parish, who was one month shy of his 100th birthday, I got the phone call that he passed away. I called the pastor of the church and I said, I would like to come and simply sit and be present at that worship, at that funeral, as a friend and as a member of the community, not as a pastor. And he said, Craig, if you're coming, will you at least open us with prayer? I said, absolutely. So I camped at Castle Peak Campground and we ended up in the lawn at Rochford Chapel, the Little Brown Church. Anyone ever been there? Beautiful place. If you get a chance to go, you absolutely should. At the end of that service, we're out in the lawn gathered and giving each other hugs and shaking hands, and across the lawn, I saw the family that I despised, and they despised me. We looked at each other, we made eye contact, and it was absolutely the Holy Spirit of what happened next. I started walking across the lawn towards them, they started walking across the lawn towards me. He stuck out his hand to shake my hand. And we shook hands in the lawn that day. And his wife looked at me and she said, Pastor Craig, I hear great things from here. We're proud of you. And we're glad that you give God's word. We smiled, we hugged, and that was the moment in which we knew that forgiveness and God's mercy, God's grace, God's spirit prevails. Amen? I didn't say I'm sorry and neither did they. You don't need to say it. You need to believe it, and you need to live it. Brothers and sisters in Christ, what does it mean to be enslaved to Christmas? On this week, six days prior to this Christmas story for us, it starts with that one act, forgiveness. It starts with the act of meeting a neighbor in the lawn, shaking the hands, and letting bygones be bygones for the sake of Christ's care. Thanks be to God.